Well, we're starting a brand new series today. Um, we, we did a series similar to this last year called Running with Giants, and it was our most popular series of the year. And so what we thought, well, well you know, let's, we've had the last um, two days, we've had the Global Leadership Summit that's been taking place in, um, in Whitbank, and we, some of us went up there. And, and one of the things that one of the speakers said, Rasmus Ankerson said this, is that so often what we like to do is work and improve on our weaknesses. Ever, ever thought about that? Like, what are, you, what are you not so good at? Well, let's spend some time working on those areas. So, for instance, if you're in school and you don't do well in maths, they'll say to you, well, you've got to be better at maths. Do extra maths, do extra maths. And so what happens is you're poor in maths, but all that happens is that you become a little bit better in maths. You don't become brilliant mathematician or mathematician. Everyone's going, Mom, did you hear that? I don't really need to do maths. You need to do maths and you need to do, get better at it, but you're never going to become brilliant at it. But maybe you're brilliant in a different area. It's a strength for you. And so you're great in that. And so what you need to do is work on that strength so that you become better at that. I'll give you an example. Tiger Woods, for some of you that follow golf, will know that he is a phenomenal golfer, has done really well. But Tiger Woods is downside when he plays golf, is bunkers. He battles to get out of the bunkers. He, he gets out, but he's not good. And so what he does, simply this, is that he just learns simply to be able to get out of the bunker and to get onto the fairway. Not to get out of the bunker and to land on the green. No, no, just to make that. I want to just make sure that as I'm battling with this area, I want to make it a little bit better. What he's really good at is his long drive. And so he practices that over and over and over again so that that which is good becomes phenomenal. Okay? And I think so often we kind of been taught somehow that we've got to work on our weaknesses so much instead of realizing that, hang on, we've got certain strengths that are different from other people. And if we work more on those strengths, they will become better and better and better. And so what we do often is we say, well, this series didn't work well, so maybe next year we need to kind of tweak it and do it better. And I'm saying, no, the series that worked well last year was running with giants. Let's just take it to another level. And so I think that kind of makes a little bit more sense. And so that's the reason why we realize that there are people in the Bible who are heroes of the faith. If you don't know, our scripture speaks about that. Are, are we connected? So if I go to the next slide, that should be me. No, we're not. It should give a letterbox effect. I think that's just the background. Sorry, just smile at the person next to you quickly. Are you still smiling at them? There we go. So scripture tells us this, that you and I are in a race called life. That you and I are running this race. And the writer in Hebrews chapter 12 says the following, therefore, now the reason for therefore means he's going to tell you therefore. So in, in Hebrews chapter 11, it is what we call uh, the hall of faith it's all those who are kind of found faithful in scripture and they're placed in hebrews chapter 11 and he lists all these people the writer then he goes into verse 12 and he says the following therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles us and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked before us so what he's saying is this you and i we're running a race if you can ever picture anything in a stadium, we're running this race and all around us in the stands around us are the heroes of the faith and they're applauding us and they're clapping at us and they're saying, carry on, do it, you're doing well. Listen, when I get to heaven one day, 
I want to know, and I want to chat to a couple of those heroes of the faith. You ever wondered if the people in heaven are watching what we're doing down here? Well, Hebrews chapter 12 says that. Since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, those who are watching us, let us run this race called life with perseverance. And so they're watching us, and they're saying, you carry on, you do well. And they're shouting down, listen, I don't know if you've ever had an opportunity to take part in a big race like that, or you've ever had to play a sport in a stadium. You, you cannot hear individual people speaking, but you can hear the crowd shouting and chanting and going crazy. Listen, we hear it. I think one of the greatest honors is to be able to run onto a field for your country, be it in football or in rugby, and to stand there and to hear 40 or 50,000 people joining together singing the national anthem. I mean, how many of you ever knew that the national anthem has got the same tune to what Itsy Bitsy Spider? Now the whole sermon you're going to go, anyway. So while you're running this race, these clouds of witnesses are watching you, and they're shouting, and they're encouraging you, and they're saying, you carry on, don't fall flat, don't kind of let stress get to you, carry on. But every now and again, we need one of those heroes to come down to run alongside us and to truly encourage us to speak into our lives and say, well, you're doing a great job. Carry on. And so that's what the series is all about. We're going to run this race called life with these giants of the faith. But more than that, we want to hear what they say to us. What kind of encouragement would they give us? And so this morning, we're looking at the guy called Noah. You might know Noah, but we're going to speak to him. And I believe this is what Noah would say to us if he had to come alongside us. One person can make a difference. One person can make a difference. You, you might be here today and you kind of feel that your life has got no significance. You might be here today and think that all you have to do is go through motions, kind of just, my life seems insignificant. Does God even know that I'm here? In fact, does anybody know that I'm here? I believe Noah would come around us today and say, you needed to realize this, that one person can make a difference. One person can make a difference. You know the story of Noah. If you don't, I'll catch you up. Noah is found in the book of Genesis. Noah is about three generations later after Adam. So Adam and Eve were in the garden. They got kicked out of the garden. They were living. And Noah comes onto the scene three generations later. He has three sons. And God speaks to Noah and says to Noah, this is what I want you to do. I have noticed the wickedness that is taking place in the world. And so what I want you to do is I want you to build me a boat. Now, we realize, read that and we go, well, that's all fine and that's all, that's cool. Noah's going to build a boat. But you need to understand this. Up until Noah, there'd never been rain. In fact, there'd never been a need for rain because why? God supplied everything. God gave them everything that they needed. And so because of that, the sin wasn't bad in the world. The sin was, and so these guys could live to hundreds and hundreds of years. In fact, Noah, when he starts building the ark, is already 600 years old. And he builds an ark which we think would take a couple of weeks. Listen, we look how long they've been building that high court and we drive past it and we wonder, will it ever be finished? It took Noah 120 years to build the ark. Staying power, we think that's some people's age, but Noah kind of lived way past that. In fact, Noah's father was a guy by the name of Methuselah. You might have heard that. You might have heard people say things like, well, you're as old as Methuselah. Well, he lived up to 952 years of age, and then he passed away. Can you imagine having a mother-in-law for so long? It'd just be like... And so God comes to Noah, and he says to Noah, this is what I want you to do. Noah, I want you to build an ark. 
I want you to build a boat because I've looked around and I've seen the wickedness that has happened in this world and I want to kind of rid the world of all of this. And so Noah begins. Maybe you've seen the movie. Um, how he begins to build this boat and this ark according to certain dimensions that God gives to him. And so kind of while I was prepping, I was thinking, well, you know, what would Noah say to us? And, and maybe a couple of things that Noah would say to us, number one is, like, don't miss the boat. Don't, don't, don't miss the boat. The last thing you want to do is miss the boat. Or, or maybe Noah would say something along these lines is that the two woodpeckers in the boat are more detrimental than the storm outside the boat. You've got to laugh at that. I, I, I battle to come up with those kind of things. <laughs> One thing I would do if I could speak to Noah was say to him, why did you never, ever, ever just slap those two pesky mosquitoes that were on the boat? <laughs> that would have made life so much easier. But that's when Noah comes into the boat. And we're going to spend some time looking at what Noah has to say. So if you have your sermon notes with you and you're following along, I want you to go to Genesis chapter 6. And this is what it says the following. So the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And so the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth. And his heart was filled with pain, so the Lord said, I will wipe mankind out who I've created from the face of the earth, men and animals and creatures that move along the ground and birds of the air. For I am grieved that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So I want to ask you the question simply this morning is how can you and I make a difference? How, how can you and I in this world, if we have to learn from Noah, Noah says that one person can do it. Well, how do we go about doing that? How do we do that? Because the scripture tells us that, that the world was wicked, but Noah found favor with God. Not, not only that, Noah found favor with God and because of Noah finding favor with God, his family were saved. I believe God, Noah would come to you this morning and say to you, listen, in this race that you're running, you need to understand this, that you are making a difference in the world. In fact, never ever feel that you are insignificant. Never ever feel that you are a blip in the life of history and you're going to come and you're going to go away. There is a specific reason that you have been created. Now, I could preach a sermon on that, but then when we speak about Esther, Esther, not Esther, I don't know who she is, Esther, I have nothing to tell you. But I, I want you to know this this morning, that you can make a difference. And Noah would come alongside you and tell you that. So how do we make a difference and where can we make a difference? Well, the first is simply this, is that you can make a difference for your family. You can make a difference for your family. Listen to what Genesis says. The Lord then said to Noah, go into the whole ark, you and your family, because I have found you righteous in this generation. I have found you righteous in this generation. Acts speaks about it in the New Testament. It says the following, I believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So Andrew, what you're saying to me is that if I give my life to Jesus, then my family will be automatically be saved. No, that, that's not kind of what the scripture is saying. The scripture is saying this, when, when we read the word household or family, we need to realize that it's not meaning literally my brothers and my sisters or my mom and my dad. It's the Greek word oikos, okay, for those of you who are taking notes. And it means kind of just my sphere of influence those people that i'm influencing around me now here we go for those of you who think you're amazing influencers sociologists tell us that our sphere of influence is only really between 12 and 15 people that's your sphere of influence that you have around you and so when god says that noah has found favor in my side is saying that noah has found favor and because of that he is able to influence those people around him 12 or 15 people in america they say this, they say, 
that the average dad spends seven minutes a day with their children. Seven sevens of 49. That's not even an hour. In fact, you don't even, those children of yours don't even fit into your sphere of influence in the week. And that's who it is. And God is saying, no, you can make a difference. You can have an impact in your family, in your sphere of influence. That's why when we say to you that when you get saved, it's not a relationship just between you and God. Your salvation is private, uh, is public, because you need to speak that out to your sphere of influence. Now, if we had a look at our congregation and we sit here with about 85, 86 people, 85 or 86 people, each reaching 10 people, you do the maths on that, suddenly it gets a bit bigger. And those 10 people, when they get saved, they reach 10 people or 15 people. Do you understand how suddenly it grows and it gets bigger and bigger? And so never ever feel that you cannot make a difference in this world. Never ever feel that you have no significance because you, through your lifestyle, through what you say, influences a community around you. And I pray more than anything else that that community will influence a community, which will influence a community. How we build a church to build a city. And so nobody would say that. He'd say that you need to understand that you can make a difference in your family. The second place is that he'll say that you can make a difference in your generation. That not only can we make a difference to those in our sphere of influence, but that we need to make a difference in our generation. Acts 13 says that. And when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. It doesn't even say he died. Because we as believers believe that, that we really just miss death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Straight away we bypass it. But we make a difference in, in our generation. Not, not the generation that came or the generation that's coming. We have a responsibility to the generation we find ourselves in. Now listen, I'm a generation Xer. I grew up in a, in a, in a, in a latchkey family. My generation was, I would come home from, from school and my parents would both be working because it was that empowerment stage where women were required or, or could work. Suddenly it was fine for women to have jobs. And so I come home from that generation. I come from a generation that realized that the generation before me, the baby boomers, Okay, and you know why they're called baby boomers? Because they came back from the war and they said, hubba, hubba, hubba. And there were a lot of babies that were born out of that. Okay, that generation kind of, we thought it messed everything up. And so Generation X came along and said, well, we're going to try and write it. But we didn't do a very good job of that. After them, another generation came along by the name of Generation Y, who kind of, we thought everybody goes, why, why? Well, that's exactly what they did. Why? That's the question. Why? You know, but the letter Y, not necessarily the... And then we have a generation that's rising up now, a generation that you might have experienced. In fact, you might have them living in your household called millennials. A generation who's got no understanding of what an LP record is or let alone a CD player. They've woken up into a world that the internet has just always been there. What do you mean you had to go to a library and go through reference books? I just click it on my phone and suddenly I have everything that I desire. That's the generation that we've got living amongst us right now it's a generation that says that i don't need to work but i'm going to be a millionaire by the age of 21. i don't know how but i just feel it's my rightful duty to be a millionaire it's that generation and god is saying listen you can make a difference in your generation your generation so i'm not worried about the baby boomers because they're not my generation but there might be someone's generation over here i'm concerned about my age group my generation, because, because I realized that, that if, if I don't know Jesus and I don't tell people about him, what are the chances of my generation getting to know Jesus? And I can make a difference because the people that I interact with are my peers. So I, 
even though I get to speak to a whole lot more people every week than what you do, because look at me, I'm speaking to 85 straight away, you have a responsibility in your generation to make a difference. You have a difference, a, a, a responsibility to make a difference. I've told you before that statistics tell us that 95% of all Christians would maybe lead one person to Christ in their lifetime. If we live with a statistic like that, we are never going to see Jesus come. Because Jesus says, I will come once everybody knows. And as he prepares to come and he still sees one person that doesn't know him, he says, well, hang on, wait, wait, wait. Let's wait for them to come to the knowledge of salvation. If we don't begin to make shifts in our generation, if we don't begin to speak to our generation, if we don't begin to speak to the generation that we're influencing, they will never know about Jesus. Listen, we're one generation away of not knowing Jesus at all. And so you and I both have responsibility. The third one is that this is that we can make a difference for God. That you and I can make a totally difference for God. Ezekiel speaks about it. He says the following. He says, I look for a man or a person among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. And God is saying that this morning. He says that there is a need in this country. There is a need in this world for someone to stand up. For someone to kind of make a difference. And I've looked and I've searched for someone to stand in the gap on behalf of them. And I found no one. In fact, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 speaks about it. It says, the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro, seeking one who will raise his hand up. Andrew's paraphrase. Who will raise his hand up and say, I want to be counted faithful in your sight. That's what he's doing. God longs for us. I need someone because that's how I work. That's the way God works. He works, here we go, through you and me. That we are the hands. We are the feet of Jesus in this world. And so you want to realize that if you can't make a difference, you can make a difference because God says, I want you to make a difference for me. I want you to tell the world that there is one who loves them, who knows them by name. And so while you and I are running in this race, while you and I are kind of wondering, is it worthwhile? Why don't I just quit now? Why don't I just sit down by the side and just like, you know, give up? Noah will come around and say to you, listen, yeah, don't give up. Carry on running because you make a difference in the world. You make a difference in your family. You make a difference in your generation. And you make a difference for God. So never, ever feel that you're insignificant. Never feel. You know, we, we sang this morning, do it again. And I mean, the text for that comes from um, Joshua, where they crossed over the river Jordan. And God says to them, and I'm going to give you the land that you see before you. But the first thing they see when they come into the promised land, is this town called Jericho. And you know the story God tells them, what I want you to do is I want you to march around the city every day, six days. Just march around it. Just march around it. March around it. And that's what they did. And I think so often for us, we believe God says to us, listen, anything in your life that is not of me, I can take away. Anything in your life that sets itself up, that becomes a Jericho in your life, I can take it away. And we kind of believe that God would do it instantaneously. But we have to walk and we have to walk and some of us are on walk day five and we're still walking and this thing is still in our lives but we continue to walk because God is faithful but on the seventh day that says this, they woke up at dawn they got together Joshua said all right this is what we're going to do we're going to walk around the building not once today we're going to walk around it seven times and on the seventh time you and I are going to blow into our bugles or into our ram's horns and we're going to shout and we're going to scream because God has given us the city they must have thought to themselves whatever listen we've done this now for six days we know what happens 
But the seventh day, they walked around it. The seventh time on the seventh day when they got together, they blew their ram's horns. They shouted with all their life. And what happens? The walls of the city come crumbling down. I, I don't believe there was one soldier who went away and said, huh, I had no part to play in that. I believe they all gathered again and said, you're not going to believe what happened. I blew a horn. I said, oh, and the walls came coming down. They, they, each and every one of them believed with all their heart that they played a role in that. I wasn't insignificant. I blew and I shouted and it came down. Listen, the reason maybe things aren't happening in your life is because you believe that you're insignificant. You believe that God doesn't want to work through you. Maybe what you need to do is continue walking, blow on a ram's horn, or just blow or sort of shout. I, I, I don't want you coming here with your horns every Sunday. <laughs> but shout, and who knows, just maybe the walls in your life that are kind of holding you back into will fall. And no one will say to us, don't feel that you're insignificant. Don't feel that you cannot make a difference in the world. You can. You can. Ah, oh, I thought that was pretty good. You'll probably get it a little bit later on, but that's, that's fine. And I never want God, when I get to heaven one day, to say this to me. That I look for someone around there who would build up the wall and stand in the gap. And I found no one. I found no one. You never want God to call you into something in your marriage. I looked for a husband that would stand up on behalf of his family, but I found no one. I looked for a wife who would pray for her children. And I looked and I looked and I found no one. And so I moved on. We never want to be those kind of people. That when we feel the prompting of the Spirit of God in our lives, that our answers will always be, Lord, yes, here we are. We are available. We want to be used by you because we know that when one person together with another person, together with another person, realizes their potential, we make a difference in this world. We truly, truly do. So Noah has run with us. He now goes back into the stands. He says, you carry on running. But I'm going to leave you with these words of encouragement. You can make a difference. Each person makes a difference. But these are the words of encouragement I want to leave you. And the first is this. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. I think we live in a world at the moment where it's better sometimes just to kind of sit quietly. And not have, you know, don't, don't ruffle any feathers. Just kind of just let it go. But Noah's saying, no, 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 I, I want you to stand out in the crowd. 120 years it takes building an ark. I'm sure the people came after a week and said to Noah, and the rain is, in fact, before you even carry on, Noah, tell us what this stuff called rain is. No, no, it's going to come from the sky. Okay. How? I don't know. God said it's going to come. And then when it rains, what's going to happen? He's going to flood everything here. Okay, Noah. It's all fair and well explaining that on day one. But year 67, when the people come to you and they say to you, listen here, um, Noah, <laughs> where's the rain? God is faithful. God said to me the rain's going to come. So I'm just doing what he's told me to do. Listen. You might be here and you might be praying for someone in your family. And you've been praying for them over and over and over again. And everyone says, you're wasting your time. I mean, this is year five that you've been praying for them. God said he's faithful. They'll come to know Jesus. And I carry on praying. And I carry on praying. Listen, you're never going to have to pray for 120 years. But you might have to pray longer than a week. Longer than two weeks. Maybe 
You might have to pray your whole life, but they'll come to know Jesus. And I think so often we give up on number six. We give up before we even get to the seventh one. And I say, no, sisters, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Don't be afraid to look like a fool for me. Don't be afraid because I take delight in those who make a stand. I take delight in those who say, Lord, I've heard your voice speak and the rest of the world might disagree, but I know this is what you have for me. And if the world laughs at me, that's fine, Lord. I want to be true to your word and I'm going to stand and I'm not going to be afraid to stand up in the crowd. And if everybody says things to me, I'm going to say, that's fine. I'm trusting him because his voice is clear. His voice is true. His voice has called me to something big. And listen, often when people criticize us, it's simply because they just don't have the same imagination that you and I have, that when God calls us to something. Don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. This is what Proverbs says. Fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord will be kept safe. I wonder how many times people have not done anything simply because they're worried about what other people will say. So Lord, I hear what you're calling me to do. I agree, but I'm worried about what my wife would say, or my husband would say, or my colleagues at work would say. I believe Noah would say to us today, listen here, don't be afraid to stand out in the crowd. Because I've looked all over for one who will stand in the gap. So stand up. The second thing, his encouragement for us would be was simply this. Don't be afraid to do something for the first time. Don't be afraid to do something for the first time. When was the last time you were afraid to do something? When was the last time God explained something to you and said, this is what I called you to do? Listen, if what God calls us to do doesn't frighten the bejeebas out of us, then I don't believe it's a vision from God or according from God because God would never kind of give us a vision that would be so easy for us to attain. I, I don't What I want you to do is I want you to just, you know, no, no. God will always give us a vision or a dream that will blow our minds. Then we know it's from God. And so you might be sitting here today and say, I've got something so big and I don't want to tell anybody about it because like if I tell anybody about it, what God wants me to do, they're going to think I'm crazy. Well, then it's definitely from God. And the second thing is that when I think about it, it scares me. That's definitely from God. But the third thing is that even though it scares you, you need to realize this about God is that he's not going to let you do it alone. And that's all he needs you to do is verbalize that fear that you have that he can come then and be your strength. So don't be afraid to do something for the first time. No, we'd never built a boat before that. But when we speak about boat builders today, we know a guy called Noah who built a boat that lasted forever and ever. You know, we know about Noah. His legacy, I mean, the guy from Titanic could have spoken to him a little bit better. You know, I watched that movie like three times. I think that's about 17 hours worth of watching and the ship sinks every time. <laughs> every time. But, but don't be afraid to do something for the first time. What that might mean for some people is maybe what it's time for is for you to relinquish your life to Jesus. But I, I, I don't want to do that because I'm afraid. But you need to know this today, that when we relinquish our lives to Jesus, we truly come alive. We truly come alive. And even though we're afraid the first time we do that, it's only until we've done that that we truly understand the concept of living life to the full. Scripture says the following. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, 
Not because he was frightened, but in holy fear and reverence of who God was, built an ark to save his family. And by his faith, he condemned the world and he became heir of the righteous that comes by faith. Maybe God needs to speak a word into you that'll kind of jolt you into doing something for the first time. But I want to tell you this, don't let fear be the thing that stops you. Don't let fear be the thing that holds you back. And as you're running this race, and you've got his call to do something, I believe Noah comes running next to you in his little robe or whatever he was wearing, saying, don't let fear hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. You can do it. There's a great cloud of witnesses running around you, promising that they're never going to leave you. They're never going to forsake you. The last point is simply this, that when you see a rainbow, remember that one person can make a difference. That, that was the promise of the rainbow. That when they came out, never again, never again will I flood the earth. Maybe we need to change that a little bit. And then every time we see a rainbow, Lord, may that be a promise and a reminder to me that I can make a difference in this world. You see, all that we need for evil to prosper in this world is for good people to do nothing. And we can say and we can delegate all kinds of responsibility to people around us that it's not my calling, it's not my responsibility, that I don't need to speak a life into this country, I don't need to speak a life into where I find myself. But if we all have that kind of an attitude, we're never going to find one person who will stand up and say, up until here and no more. Until we realize that you and I have a responsibility to be to the change we want to see in the world. That you and I have a voice to speak. You and I have a mandate from God. And so maybe instead of seeing the rainbow and going, oh, how pretty it is, and remembering the flood, maybe we look at the rainbow and say, Lord, that's the promise that I can make a difference in this world. That's the promise that I'm going to hold on to. That he who calls me is faithful. He who calls me will equip me. He who calls me will never let me go. He who calls me not only will equip me, but empower me. And I truly believe that with all my heart, that if we kind of just simply say, here I am, Lord. Here I am. Not send them. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord, I want to be a history maker. I want the world to know who I am. Or what I, listen, maybe your renown will only be as far as Nell Sprite. And that's fine. But maybe, maybe seated here today, when we raise our hands up and say, Lord, I want to make a difference, is our future president, future statesman. We don't know until we respond to that call. So the scripture says this, Matthew 8, 28. And be sure of this, that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Always with you. That once I've asked you to stand, once I've asked you to make a difference, once I've asked you to go into the world, I need you to know this, that I'm not going to just let you go and not be with you. I'm with you, even to the end of the age. In fact, Jesus speaks about this, about Noah. He says, like, in the last days, it'll be like the days of Noah, when wickedness will be all over the world. And listen, we don't need to be a rocket scientist to realize in the world that we find ourselves in is similar to the days of Noah. When we have children that are being trafficked, and all things happening to, in the world, the crime and all that, it's not God's will that it'd be like this. But he writes, in 2 Peter, he says the following, in these waters, also the, let's write that again. 
by these waters, also the world of that time was destroyed, deluged and destroyed by the same word. The present heavens and the earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction for ungodly people. But we need to realize this. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. As some understand slowness, he is patient with you, not in wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to repentance. And I believe with all my heart that God has placed you here for a specific purpose. That you need to know that your life can make a difference. Just like through one man, God could change the world in Noah. I believe with all my heart through one person saying, Lord, here I am. I want to be used by you. I'm going to stand up, make a difference in my family. I'm going to speak into my generation. I'm going to be available to be used by God. And then I'm not going to be afraid to stand up. I'm not going to let fear dictate what I need to do. And every time I see a rainbow, Lord, I'm going to know your promise is on my life. Amen? Let's pray.